Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. Yes. How are we? Good morning. Good to see you all here in the building. Good to see you at home, everybody. Uh, My name's Tim. I'm the student pastor here. I also oversee the academy. Can we give our absolute best props and shout outs to our academy students? Because they work so hard and we love them so much. Thank you for everything you've invested. It's good to see your faces and all of the snappy dresses. Tebo, you look very snappy. I always feel like the Aldi version of Tebo. But we love Aldi. Um, But we know God looks at our hearts. People look on the outside. God looks at our hearts. We're opening the Word today. Because as we open the Word, He's going to bring healing. He's going to challenge and bring change. And that's what we're excited for this morning. And we're continuing our series on Through the Eyes of Peter. And it's these three encounters that Peter has with Jesus before the cross that really shapes his understanding of who Jesus is. It's also basically just three dumb things that Peter says. And the first one is, he's like, Jesus, you're not going to die And Hazel touched on that with expectation versus reality, that Jesus was not the savior we expected. He's the one who came to die and calls us to die. And then the second thing that we had with Dr. Drake last week, the second dumb thing he says is, oh, shall I build a tent for these ghosts? And we see this moment of the transfiguration. There's that aha moment where we realize that um, kingdom achievement comes from kingdom identity when we understand how loved we are. And then the final dumb thing that we're looking at this morning, or this afternoon, if you're watching the six, sorry, students, is Peter is basically bragging about how forgiving he feels he is. And he's trying to impress um, Jesus with his level of forgiveness. Are there any Monopoly fans here at home? Yes, have you played Monopoly deal, anyone? Yes, type it in the chat if you've played Monopoly. If you're, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Monopoly. You've got the board, you've got all the properties, you've got the expensive blue ones, Mayfair, Harbour and Edge Baston, um, and the cheap ones, Vine Street, Borsal Heath. Shout out for B12. And you're basically trying to get around the property and buy as many as you can. Um, and you will all know the gut-wrenching pain of landing on go to jail. Oh, that feels bad, doesn't it? And if that happens, you're quickly shuffling through your cards, trying to find a get-out-of-jail-free card. And if you have one of those, in glory, hallelujah, your sins are forgiven, you're set free. And basically, what we see in this scenario here this morning is Peter is asking Jesus, how many get-out-of-jail-free cards should each player get? How many should there be in the deck? And so we're going to read from Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Get your Bibles out. And if you're home, go grab your Bible. There's something beautiful about knowing that together we're opening this Word in our living rooms, lounges, beds, toilets, all those things that we're reading the Word. So let's get our Bibles open to Matthew 18, 21. As Peter is asking, how forgiving should I be? How many get out of jail free cards should I offer to people who hurt me? So Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? 
I love his like self-righteous tone in there. Up to seven times. But just for a little bit of context in, in this verse there, in ancient rabbinic teaching, I think a commonly understood thing was that three was a limit. And so we see Peter here is being very self-righteous, like as if he thinks seven is quite an impressive number. As if Jesus would be like, whoa, Peter, wow, seven times. And then Peter would say to the disciples, you see that, boys? Someone showed Jesus a thing or two about forgiveness today. Um, but, but as we go on reading, we see just how stingy Peter's suggestion is. So up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king or a master who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let me retell this in Monopoly terms. Now, this story doesn't entirely follow the rules of Monopoly, so I don't want you all typing in the chat. Oh, it's not the real. It doesn't have okay, I get that. Jesus' story doesn't make sense either. You can't really earn money in prison, so let's just roll with it. Let's just roll with this. So, a family were playing Monopoly. One kid, the son, landed on Mayfair, the most expensive property on the board. His heart sank as he saw it was worth 1.8 billion pounds, adjusted for inflation. And it was owned by the dad. It had 14 hotels on it. The rent was astronomical, millions upon millions of pounds. And frantically shuffling through his money, the son soon realized he didn't have enough. Son, I'm sorry, but you need to sell all of your properties back to the bank. All of your houses, all of your hotels, the train station that you own. And terrified, the son cried for mercy. Oh, please, dad, please, I don't have enough money. I'm sorry, son, replied the father. But if you can't pay me, you're bankrupt and you'll have to go to jail until you can pay me. No, please. Well, son, do you have a get out of jail free card? I know that's not how the game works. No, I don't have any cards left, dad, please. 
And the father thought, gee, I could really use the money from all these properties. Oh, but look at him, bless him. He's so worked up. He looks so sad. You know what? Don't worry about it, son. You don't have to pay. Have a bunch of my get out of jail free cards if you need them in the future. Then it was the daughter's turn to roll the dice. She rolled the dice and her token landed on Vine Street, the cheapest property on the board. And it was owned by her brother and he had no hotels or anything on it. And it was worth a measly 15 million pounds. And she couldn't pay. Oh, please, brother, please, I don't have enough money. I want my money, yelled the son. And he grabbed the token, knocked everything off the table and slammed his sister's token in jail. You gotta stay here until you pay up, sister. And now the middle child who up until this point had been sitting quietly at the table, rolled their eyes and was disgusted at their brother's behaviour and said, Dad, are you seeing this? It's so unfair. Enough, said the father. And he removed his daughter's piece from jail. Son, I forgave you and gave you a whole bunch of get out of jail free cards and you can't even give one of these to your sister? If you can't give your sister a break, then you don't get one either. And he put his son's piece in jail. The end. Move over, Roll Dahl. There you go. <laughs> Latest children's bestseller. <laughs> but that's what Peter's asking. How often do we forgive? How many get out of jail free cards do we give people? He says seven. Jesus says you are so stingy. In the kingdom of God, in this monopoly game of life, God the Father has handed you unlimited get out of jail free cards unlimited and we're told to do the same but forgiveness is tricky business because God is uncomfortably kind uncomfortably kind it's such tricky business because as we approach this issue it touches on um, different ways that we've been hurt and it can be so painful and so difficult uh, navigating these things but I just want to draw out a few lessons as we're led on the journey of forgiveness through this passage. And I think that's the first thing is that healing and forgiveness is a journey. What this passage does is, which might be easy to miss, is it gives us permission to process our pain. Because the first thing the master and the son do is have a conversation. They talk about it. They address what is wrong. A debt is owed, an offence has occurred. And the master says to the servant, you've hurt me. You owe me something. He addresses the issue. And, and this is beautiful because that's what Jesus wants us to do is to process our pain. Because kingdom forgiveness doesn't mean to ignore it. Kingdom um, forgiveness and reconciliation doesn't mean to pretend it never happened, to sweep it under the carpet. Kingdom reconciliation means to address it head on, to deal with it. And that gives us permission in our relationships that are strained and, and hurts to say, hey, that wasn't cool what happened. That really hurt me. Permission to seek healing, counseling, reconciliation, have the tough conversation to pursue healing. And as we do, we know that we serve a God who is compassionate and kind, who weeps with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, who binds up the wounds of the brokenhearted. 
That's what we walk in today. We serve a God who fights for justice. And I think now too of racial injustice and systemic racism, God wants to bring that down. He wants to put right what has been wronged. That is the God we serve who fights for justice, seeks healing, tackles it head on. And so just to yeah, quickly recap, the first thing is that he wants us to process our pain. And the second lesson that we can draw out of this is that it helps us to identify where there is unforgiveness in our hearts. And it can be so disorientating and kind of foggy, this issue of unforgiveness. Like, have I really forgiven them? Like if I was driving and they walked in front of me, I would stop now. You know, I'd stop. Previously would have kept driving, but now I would stop. So, you know, surely that, that, you know, that's new. Surely I've forgiven them, but it can be kind of foggy. Like, what does that really mean? This kind of thing of unforgiveness And the whole way through this parable in this passage, there's this imagery of jail. The the consequence of the offense is jail. And I think this imagery of jail is just such a perfectly fitting picture of what unforgiveness is in our hearts. That someone offends us and hurts us, and it's like as if there's a little jail cell in our heart, and we put them in there, and we say, you got to stay in there, until you pay back what's owed to me. Bless you. Someone sneezed for those of you watching at home. I'm going to put you in this jail cell of my heart and every day I'm going to remind you of why you're here. And I'm going to keep you here until you pay it back. And I think there's so many opportunities to get hurt and particularly over lockdown. (laughs) Every underlying tension that was there Lockdown came along and went, turned it all the way up to 11, all the way up. And particularly, personally, I find this in the kitchen. I am such a pain to live with, not because I'm messy, but because I'm really pedantic. I'm so pedantic to the point where I'm like keeping track of the crumbs on the side. And I'm like wiping that thing and I'm like, those are mini cheddar crumbs. And I know who eats mini cheddars in this house. Harry. You know, I've changed the name for protection, but you know who you are. (laughs) Oh, yeah. These are mini cheddar crumbs. And I'm like, I cleaned the kitchen yesterday, and you couldn't even be bothered to clean up your mini cheddar crumbs. (laughs) And I get on my high horse, and I have this kind of kitchen-related hatred that I'm storing up there. Does anyone else find themselves doing that? Talking to someone as though they're listening. Yeah, I'm not alone. That's good to know. And then I lock Harry up in my heart. And every day I go down to this dungeon and I remind Harry what just a pile of poopy is for leaving his mini cheddar crumbs on the table. And then like they, there's a number of words in this passage that are related to um, forgiveness that have connotations of jail, to keep watch and to keep guard. And that's what unforgiveness does. Every morning I wake up and I'm checking that my prisoner is still there. I go down to the dungeon of my heart. And I'm like, good morning, Harry. How'd you sleep? Terribly, I hope. Someone's a fan of mini cheddars, aren't they? Oh, yes, they are. And you didn't clean them up. I cleaned the kitchen and you didn't clean up those mini cheddar crumbs. And then I start to elaborate. Harry starts to talk back and I get more offended. It wasn't my toast. 
Toast crumbs are different to mini cheddar crumbs, Harry. And on and on and on it goes, constantly reminding Harry of why he's there, making him pay off that time in my heart in jail. Paying off the debt. I'm on a Zoom call with Tim and Rach doing that overly affirmative Zoom nod that we all do. Yes, yes. But in my heart, I'm there going, oh, Harry, you can't clean up your mini cheddar crumbs, can you? That's going on in the background for me. And if this is happening, it's a sign of unforgiveness in my heart that they're still locked up in the prison cell that I've created for them, guarding it night and day. And it's exhausting. It is so tiring. Unforgiveness is a full-time job. That's why I often forgive. I'm just too lazy to hold a grudge. We keep on reminding, and it's just so tiring. And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't bottle it up. Maybe you're that more kind of explosive person and you don't just tell them in your heart. You're telling them on, in your mind or on the phone. You're like, no, you're an idiot. No, you are. And you go to hang up. That's what I hate about iPhones. Don't you miss like landline telephones where you could slam it down? But now on an iPhone, you have to be like, no, you're an idiot. Can you just hold on the line for a second? Yeah, I just want to hang up on you. Yeah, you're still there. No, you're an idiot. Boop. It's just not the same, is it? It's just not the same. I'm, I'm saying bring back the landline because that way we can really express our rage and hatred like Jesus wants us to. But I know it feels so trivial and just things around kitchen dynamics. I'm deliberately being silly and keeping it light because we know that there's so many ways that we get hurt and that doesn't really touch the real depths of how people have betrayed us. We felt heartbroken where there's the injustices that we've been called names, all these terrible things that happen. But the point is we get hurt and we feel that they owe us a debt and we keep them in jail. And so this parable helps us to, first of all, know that we can process our pain and identify that unforgiveness in our heart. But it really asks the question, well, well, how do we forgive? And the third thing we learn is really the first steps to take on that journey of forgiveness. And so if you remember the the passage, the parable of the the master and the servant, of the monopoly of of the son and the father, we've got two characters here and there's a hurt caused. And verse 35 feels really shocking at first read, but actually this is the plot twist moment. So verse 35 says, And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the plot twist. Peter thinks that he's the king, but he's the naughty servant. He thinks he's the offended one, but he's actually the forgiven one. God is the master. And this is the plot twist moment for us. As we read this story, we might be tempted to think like Peter and think, we're the king, we're the offended one. Actually, we're the naughty servant. I am the naughty servant. And verse 27 could have gone very, very differently for us naughty servants. Verse 27 says, the servant's master took pity on him Canceled the debt and let him go. That verse is huge. Absolutely huge. Took pity, canceled the debt 
and let him go. Other versions there say had compassion, had deep compassion. And none of these words really, I think, do it justice. They kind of undersell that emotion of God in this moment. The, the Greek word used there is quite famous. Splachnizomai. It's not a COVID-friendly word. Splachnizomai. Which is, is really that gut-wrenching, deep compassion. It's a word related to the guts and the intestines that in um, Jewish thought, that was the seat of the emotions. That's where you felt things. In your guts, it's kind of like that lovesick feeling. Anyone been in love? Type it in the chat if you're in love, Tim is. That lovesick feeling, they walk in the room. Oh, I love them so much. And then they break up with you and you're gutted. Oh, I still love them so much. That feeling that deep feeling where you just feel it in your guts, that's this moment that God has over sinners where he's gutted and says, I love them so much. That's the overwhelming, gut-wrenching, reckless splachnizomai of God that he has over sinners. And Jesus was always raising the bar. It's not just forgive your enemies, it's love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Whoo! Splachnizomai your enemies. Whoo! That is hard to take. But what we learn from this is that love is the basis of forgiveness. And our eyes are drawn to what God has done for us. He's saying, let that sink in first and let that change your heart. Don't begin with forgiving others. Look to the cross and see how much Jesus loves you and how much he forgave you. And a Christian is simply just someone who has looked at their huge pile of mistakes, all of the debts and the shame and everything that they have done, everything that they owe God, and they fall on their knees and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God, with his gut-wrenching compassion, says, I forgive you. I release you. That is what it means to be a Christian. To say, I can't pay back this debt. Please cancel it. Let me go. And that's what Jesus does. And these words of forgiveness have those jail connotations, literally meaning to set them free or to release a prisoner from jail. And we are released not because we paid the debt, but because Jesus did. We're free because of Jesus. And this series is called Through Peter's Eyes as he's learning these things about the cross. And Peter doesn't really understand everything right there and then in the moment. And we later see that the cross is the demonstration that we don't get what we deserve. On the cross, Jesus cries out, forgive them, they don't have a clue what they're doing. We had no clue that in that moment, we had a massive debt that we couldn't pay. And Jesus said, I'm going to pay it for you. The debt that you owe, the wages of sin that is death, I'm going to pay that for you on the cross. That's what he paid. His forgiveness cost him. It's get out of jail free for us, but it was not free for Jesus. It cost him his life. And I just feel that kind of excited sense of Jesus this morning saying, I see your debt. You can't pay it and you don't have to, because I did. That invitation 
Just say, I, see, I saw how you were tied up in shame and sin. I broke the power of that in death and resurrection. It broke Jesus's heart. He had this my moment and said, I felt it in here for you. So I died and paid the debt so you can walk free. And this is essentially the application. This is where it lands. Do unto others as you would have God do unto you. Say that again, do unto others as you would have God do unto you. Do you want God to forgive you or hold a grudge against you? What do you want? Do you want God to forgive you or hold a grudge? And that's what's so tricky about this passage is because the debt is real. In the parable where we've got the master and the son and the son goes and strangles the, um, you know, the, the servant goes and strangles his mate saying, pay me back. He should pay it back. The servant is right to demand payment. He deserves to be in jail. In the Monopoly story, the sister's peace should be in jail. The sister should pay the brother back. But in the kingdom of God, we don't get what we deserve. That's the uncomfortable, ridiculous love of God is that we are let out of jail for free because God would be justified to throw us in the slammer as well, but he didn't. He chose to cancel the debt and let us go for free because the payment was made by the blood of Jesus. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't get what we deserve And so we're called to not give what's deserved to those that hurt us. That's big. Because they do owe us debts. That debt of an apology. And they don't give it. The debt of an explanation of what they were thinking and we don't hear it. The the debt of agreeing with our narrative of events. And they don't agree. Some kind of compensation and we don't get it. But in the kingdom of God, we don't get what we deserve. And so just like God let us go without paying our debts, we say, I release you from the prison in my heart. And we open up the jail cells of unforgiveness to do unto others what God did to us, to say, I release you from the debt of an apology. I release you from the debt of an explanation of seeing my narrative Release and free. And that is so challenging. Because it hurts and it hits so deep. And I know that this is kind of the point in the story where I'm probably meant to say, let me tell you about a time where I was really hurt and I forgave because I'm awesome. But I don't think that actually achieves anything. It really doesn't. Because I have no idea the debt and the hurts that's been caused. And if I tell you a trite story about how I'm awesome and forgave, that does absolutely nothing. And secondly, if I were to do that, I will have entirely missed the point of this passage, which is not how forgiving I am, but how forgiven I am. So let me tell you a story about how forgiven I am. I have hurt God so many times and he's forgiven me. I have hurt numerous people on the other side of that screen and you've forgiven me. I've hurt numerous people in this room and you've forgiven me. 
even just end of last year, I was really feeling jealous and annoyed at someone and they did absolutely nothing wrong. But I was harboring this sense of bitterness and jealousy and I texted them and said, listen, I'm so sorry I've been harboring this. And they messaged back saying, dude, it's okay, I love you, I forgive you. Do you know how good that feels to be forgiven? To hear those words spoken over you, I love you and I forgive you. And that's where we're landing right now, to hear the voice of the Father inviting sinners home, saying, I love you and I forgive you. Like Jesus is here handing out piles of get out of jail free cards, saying, do you want a card? You can have one. You get a card, you get a card. Everyone gets a card. Has someone hurt you? Look, I've got loads of cards. Look how many I've given you. Why don't you give them a get out of jail free card, just like I gave you one. Why don't you open up that cell of unforgiveness? Because I, I see how it's consuming you and killing you inside. Don't you want healing? Let them out, let them free, just like I did for you. That's what he's saying to us this morning. And if the worship team wants to come up our response this morning, I think, is a number of things. I think um, Tebo and Rach will lead us through. But our moment here is to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And in that moment, because of the gut-wrenching, absolute depth of the love of the Father. He says, I have mercy on you. I don't give you what you deserve. I let you out of jail free. And we know as we read through Scripture, the book of Acts, that when we worship, jail cells fly open. Paul and Silas are worshiping in prison and as they worship, the doors literally open. That's the moment for us right now as we worship. That there are people in this room, on the screen, whoever's watching, held in prisons. And as we worship and fall at the feet of Jesus, He flings wide those prison cells. Says, I'm going to let you out of jail free. And as we do that, as we worship, likewise, the prison cells in our hearts start to open. And we say, I release you from this debt. I forgive you. And the love of the Father is poured out in this moment as we worship. Jail cells are being opened. Freedom and healing is being poured out. And so there's gonna be a moment soon where maybe you've not yet received this forgiveness. You're looking at this huge pile of debt that you have. And the good news of the story of Easter, what we see in this passage is that Jesus invites you to fall at His feet and beg for mercy and He gives it. There is forgiveness and a moment to forgive those just as we've been forgiven as we drink in that love and compassion of God to go and do the same. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for Your love in this moment, for this plot twist moment where we see just how forgiven we are. We encounter that compassion, that really deep compassion and love. And we know that there are jail cells and chains holding us back in our hearts, around us, in our situations, and we want You to fling wide those gates. 
we want you to release. We wanna hear those words where we see that you have deep love and deep compassion, where you speak to us, be free. I cancel your debt. I let you go. We wanna hear those words, Jesus, and in response, we praise you and we thank you. And we bow down before you, Jesus, the Lord of all. Have mercy on us, Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.